Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to GradCast. I'm your host, Yiman Chen, and with me, our Grand Pooba. Hey everybody, Tristan again. Sub. <laughs> and today we have a very, very special guest and good friend of mine, a Kelsang Legden. That's right. That's right. How are you today? I'm good. And yourselves? Oh, yeah. We are actually really honored today. We have a really special uh, thing because Legden here is a Buddhist monk who's also a PhD master student. I'm a PhD student, yeah. And here in Library Information Science. Right, at yeah. the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. So, I mean, we have a whole lot to dig into with that, but let's, let's, um, let's unwind a little bit and ask, let's start off like... Which came first, the grad school or um, the clergy? Um, well, technically the grad school. I met Buddhism when I was in grade 10, so about in 2003 or something like that. Um, but the decision to become uh, an ordained monk um, was something I was mulling over since probably like the early 2010s. I guess it's only the mid-2010s now, but about three years before the present date. Um, okay. Yeah. So how did you get into you know Buddhism, especially in like a place like London? Um, well, I grew up in the United Church of Canada. Um, my stepdad's uh, United Church, or he's the son of a United Church minister, mm-hmm. and um, and so I got confirmed in the church. And then I guess I was a rebellious teenager, and so I was just looking for something else. I didn't really uh, agree with the church's stance on homosexuality, or rather the Bible's stance on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. The United Church is actually really like the most liberal uh, sect of Christianity there ever is, which I didn't really realize at the time. But <laughs> um, So I guess I just started looking around. I think at the same time I was taking a grade 10 world religions class, or if it's grade 11, I don't remember. And then I was just looking online in the early days of the internet, and I found this um, like site that listed the bunch of like Buddhist groups in London. So I checked this one place out. It was kind of like a Tibetan, not a formal group. It was just basically a form, like a monk who used to live in um, this place called Gampo Abbey. It's on Cape Breton Island. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he used to live there. Like it's a monastery. And so he moved to London for some odd reason. And then <laughs> that's where I learned how to meditate and um, get, like to start learning about Buddhism. Are you enjoying yourself? Right now, presently? Yeah. No, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> okay, so like, I've never met an ordained monk, I mean, in any sort of tradition before. Could you briefly describe, like, what does that mean in your tradition? Um, it's, I'm not necessarily a clergy person. Like, uh, like Christian groups, if you get ordained, you get um, like a parish or something like that. It just means that I've taken extra vows that kind of help my spiritual practice um, like be speedier in a way kind of like putting more limitations on my behavior so I can develop my mind quicker so speedier um, in a sense but not not that like the lay path is bad or wrong or anything like that it's just it's a personal choice could you explain more about this path this uh, the speeding along what's the ultimate goal here well, the ultimate goal is enlightenment. So it's um, 
essentially it's developing a completely pure mind, so free of all um, like mental disturbances. So it's like a supreme inner peace, essentially. So, um, so it's essentially freedom from kind of like complete freedom from suffering. Like you identify the causes of suffering in your mind, and then you eventually reduce their power and then eliminate them completely. Whoa. Oh well, yeah, well, it takes some time, but yeah, and there's also <laughs> that's the goal. There's noble truths and eightfold paths and all sorts of other things to add on to that. That's right. Yeah. So. Um, Essentially, the the first noble truth is all like life is suffering, so life is unsatisfactory, um, and we can kind of like look at this as the things we think cause us happiness don't actually cause us happiness. It's just a like, temporary reduction in our previous like suffering. So, say we're hungry, um, we satisfy our hunger, but uh, if, if, if eating food was a real cause of happiness, then we would the more food we ate, the more and more. Um, the more and more happy would we get because food is the direct cause of happiness. Ah. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that's not the case because if we overeat, we become sick. So basically, everything we, we, we're doing, example. everything that we think we enjoy is basically like a Band-Aid solution. Essentially, yeah. So we have this problems. more like underlying angst or um, this more like it's like there's more subtle levels of dissatisfaction that we don't, not necessarily truly conscious of until we start to like train our mind with like meditation to to become more aware of them so so is this why there's certain monks that like mostly historically that actually like basically uh intentionally starve to death by like and turn like turn themselves into mummies and everything like that like it's um i'm not totally sure about like i know there's some like mongolian and like some japanese monks i've heard that like mummified themselves basically um, generally, those are like extreme practices. <laughs> um, so not but, something you're. Yeah. To do. So of a, like, if we, some Buddhists believe that if we train our mind to a certain extent, we don't necessarily have to eat a lot. Well, I don't because we tend to eat like eat too much. This is more about like actually examining our need to, like examining our desire. Are we actually hungry? Or are we like engaging in a habit of mind? Okay. That forces us to eat. And so, like, putting it from a slightly happier perspective than, you know, life is angst and suffering, this is a way to sort of examine your life to think, to look at uh, what parts might be unnecessary or what parts that you might be overindulging in. And so, in a sense, kind of cleanse and purify yourself in your way of li- living? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's kind of... Um, yeah. Now, does this play into also, like, I know it's a really really old now offshoot of hinduism well uh, to an extent but mm-hmm. there's like um the concept that you know your your life like life and death is stuck in that you're stuck in this endless cycle of life death rebirth and that's mm-hmm. like um that the people uh, at least in their minds like the brahmin and people who are truly pious are the ones who are trying to break that cycle and get out of that cycle is that basically about right right uh so that's right. So we're we're trying to escape rebirth. Um, so at the end of, so Buddhists believe that the mind it's not necessarily there's no like permanently abiding soul that gets reborn. So, um, but it's rather like a, a continuum of minds. So we can. So right now we we can describe our mental states as like a a continuum, like flowing like a river. So like there's moments that arise and cease and constant, 
like succession over and over and over again. Um, and so essentially that river of mind doesn't cease at death, but um, appears a new life ultimately um, at the end of this life. And so essentially it's because according to some Buddhist beliefs, it's because we have this delusion called self-grasping. So we instinctively grasp at our aggregates, so our, like, our bodily form and our, our consciousness and our different parts of our, like, of our uh, mental makeup inside. We grasp at these and we put a label of self on them. Um, and essentially this grasping, and we constantly do this, we have this like, habit of mind since beginning this time of like, grasping onto aggregates. So we won't, what we want to try to do is release that grasping and that frees us from having to like take those forms again and again and again. That's really cool stuff. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to imagine. Well, I, 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 it, every time I hear about Buddhism, it's always like, you always have to take, this is why there's also long meditations on these things that are just something they're, they're hard to, they're, they're, yeah, it is definitely hard to like. Like I have some small experience of these things, but I am like definitely not an enlightened being or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it is true. Like you can, after some practice of meditation over the past few years, you can start to identify those thoughts in your mind where it's, I'm just like grasping at this thing that doesn't exist. It's really cool. In my, in my mental continuum. Okay. Well, I mean, in, in a way, sort of shifting to another one of yourselves, um, <laughs> how would does your practice in Buddhism, how's your relationship with that um, inform or how does that inspire your academic career? Well, when I was doing my Master's of Library and Information Science here at Western in 2012, I, especially in my cataloging class, I was um, kind of interested in the way that like worldviews impacted the creation of uh, library classification systems. So this is how I originally kind of like saw the application of like Buddhist philosophy on reality, like the Buddhist conceptions of this and how they would be a critique for uh, library classifications. So how, how do these things impact library classifications? Well, it's basically more of a, like a critique more than anything where it's how in like Western, this is, I'm generalizing again, but it's, of course, yeah. um, in in the West, we tend to view things as having this permanent abiding essence, and so like this aboutness about um, subjects and about objects, about phenomena, tend to be those characteristics exist from their own side instead of um, viewing them as independence with the mind. And so basically, I always saw library catalogs as kind of or not catalogs, but the classification systems as kind of like living, or not living, but uh, sprouting from this worldview, like these Western worldviews that... Sort of derived from yes, exactly. th- these like premises? Okay. And does that sort of inform the rest of the world, uh, the, the way we in the West look at the world, in your opinion? Sorry. Can... So, I mean, is, it, is, it, is that sort of worldview just in library classification systems, does that extend elsewhere? Does that impact other things? Uh, well, that leads to kind of a, like a larger question of like the scientific worldview and kind of like objectivism and materialism and the values of those sorts of things. Not that it's saying I'm anti-science or anything like that, but there are limitations to those sorts of worldviews. And 
things. So you're, you're looking into like another way of looking at things. Basically, way, yeah. yeah. And that's what that, that's what it originally started out as. Like my investigation into like the application of Buddhism to um, to library and information science. But it's moved away from that since I've started my doctoral work. But well, well, did you find anything interesting? Like uh, I imagine that there are many like monks and monasteries that have kept a fair amount of books over the years. Have they? Do they have a different classification system that reflects a different worldview? Uh, not necessarily. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, I haven't really looked at classification systems of uh, like Buddhist books so far. Um, that'd be something interesting to look at. Actually, so like a side project. Yeah, because I never really thought about it. But <laughs> that's good. Thank you. Um, well, you mentioned your uh, interests have evolved since you started your PhD studies. That's right. Where Where are you now? So um, my doctoral work, like my dissertation specifically, is looking at information behavior uh, or information practices. And that's basically just like a fancy way of saying what people do with information. That's more like sociological. Um, <clears throat> and so this work generally has been dominated by, like the previous letters, Previous literature has been dominated by um, investigations of uh, the information behaviors of clergy people, Christian clergy people, mostly Protestants actually, not even Catholics or anything like that. Um, and it's also focused on um, these clergy people as they perform their work roles. And so it's what information practices or behaviors do clergy people engage in when they perform their perform their role as a preacher or as an administrator or as a counselor. So they haven't really looked at um, the information behaviors and practices of people in their everyday religious life. So like if I'm an everyday ordinary Christian, what am I doing in my everyday life that I, with information to like, um, to engage in my practice, to like be a good Christian or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, how far along are you? What have you found? Uh, I just submitted all my ethics stuff so I'm kind of playing the waiting game right now so I'm just about to start collecting data um, which I'm kind of apprehensive about but um <laughs> oh it's suspicions since you actually are a monk and you've, yeah, so I have you've this, probably like, seen behind the scenes perspective into it's like kind of the nature of qualitative uh, research is to mm-hmm. have this like insider perspective anyways at least some qualitative work insider outsider kind yeah. of both right yeah um and also, you you said your your father is a minister as well. So, uh, well, my grandfather is. Yeah, grandfather. Sorry. Yeah. So then, um, is it, what what what? Do you see any key differences in how information plays a role in their work lives, or not necessarily per se? The most the thing that I think will be really interesting is uh, meditation as an information behavior. Is it something that doesn't really exist in? Western religions per se. There are like Western, like mystic traditions, but they're not as popular, or at least they didn't used to be. It's okay. kind of like. <laughs> Could so, you sort of unpack that a bit? Yeah, so is it like Christians like seek information from external sources, meanwhile, like Buddhists would look in like for like internal sources and like use introspection that's why like meditation plays a role or? Um, yeah, so well, in that introspection is definitely a part. So it's. Um, taking so Buddhists would definitely look at the religious texts, but they're trying to develop certain medit- fine meditation objects. So, like, let's take compassion for um, for instance. And so, a Buddhist would take 
a text on like how to develop compassion and there'd be some instructions like think about other people's suffering and like um, find it unbearable like there's a list of things it's like do this basically and then try to use that information to develop like a feeling of compassion in their mind like a genuine feeling and then use that uh, those instructions and meditate on that feeling that meditate on that feeling of compassion until it pervaded their mind like permanently that's mm. like a long term so it's basically how does like information transform into like a spiritual realization like I'm interested in kind of that transformation of like text into experience it was kind of like a hermeneutical sort of endeavor which I've kind of so I've been looking at people like Heidegger to kind of explain that but it's well so do you have um, a good idea at this moment of how you might investigate this? How would you sort of um, gather data to analyze? Well, right now I've, I'm going to do a series of interviews with Buddhist practitioners uh, to try to get them to talk about their experiences with meditation and their, uh, with their practice. And hopefully something comes out of it. <laughs> do you have support from like fellow monks or fellow people from your like temple community uh yes in in more g generally um so i'm going to be like the people in my community i'm going to be relying upon them f f to be participants um but not like a direct and uh, not more than like like people cheering from the side but like <laughs> no like monetary assistance or anything like that i just meant more like uh, are they like have have you talked to them about the research you're doing? Are they like supportive of it or? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So I can only talk about it so in like so much detail, but mm -hmm. yeah, definitely supportive. Excellent. Okay. Well, I mean, using perhaps yourself as a example, um, could you possibly, in like very short terms, walk us through like your own experiences in what you're looking at in terms of meditation? What what is that? feel like look like to you personally if you were interviewing yourself for example what would you say that's a good question um <laughs> <laughs> i don't know would you have to uh, meditate on that i think so well <laughs> We could buy, yeah, I don't yes. know. <laughs> Shall we move on to another line of sure. reasoning? Or, or would That's, we have like a wrap-up comment on... You did mention that there were some really good Buddhist puns. Or there's some... Oh, the one I know... Oh, I'm going to screw it up, though, because I'm bad at telling jokes. But um, what did the Buddhist coroner list... Why did the Buddhist coroner get fired? Why? Because he listed the cause of death as birth. <laughs> uh, well, it's a joke on like the twelve dependent related links. Basically, it's a terrible joke. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> oh, All right, Lagden. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. My pleasure. It's been Thanks very enlightening. <laughs> and we'll see all you guys next time on Gradcast. Say bye bye. Goodbye. See you in the next life. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. 
You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.